0: Welcome to episode 75 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week, Joe's back with a special chat with me about uh, some recent trends in phishing attacks that we've actually seen ourselves against uh, Canonical, but also about a recent report uh, about uh, Marcus Hutchins, the security researcher who stopped uh, WannaCry. Uh, Anyway, yeah, so that's a great chat coming up, but first we're going to do our usual roundup of vulnerabilities fixed in the supported Ubuntu releases during the last week. So this week there were 26 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. And first up, we've got an update for Libexif. This was two different CVEs that were addressed across all of uh, 1204 and 1404 extended security maintenance, 1604, 1804, and 2004 long-term support, and the interim release uh, 1910, that's the Eon ermine. If you are still running that, I uh, yeah, try and ch- upgrade to 2004 Focal Fosa, because that is now supported for up to 10 years with extended security maintenance. Uh, but anyway, I digress. So yeah, this update for LiveXiv had a fix for a divide by zero and a possible um, denial of service through an CPU infinite loop that could be triggered via crafted EXIF files. Uh, we then had an update for apt. So this is uh, you know, the main package manager in Ubuntu and it has its own copy of um, code for handling uh, the AR archive format. Uh, this is commonly used for the uh, dev files themselves. And if one of these had a specially crafted file name, in particular containing all spaces, uh, this could trigger a stack buffer out-of-bounds read. So essentially it would try to process that file name, it would try to skip over all of the spaces, but if it, all it contained the spaces, it would go past the end of it, and yeah, you would read past the end of that and likely get a uh, you know, segmentation fault because you've walked outside of your valid memory. Yeah, so that was fixed for apt-in, uh, Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support, and uh, 19.10. We then had an update for JSON-C. So this was a pretty routine update that again, affected all of our supported releases all the way back to uh, 1204 extended security maintenance. And there was an integer overflow in JSON-C. So this is a, a C library for handling a JSON uh, encoded data or JSON formatted data, should I say. Uh, and this could result in an out-of-bounds write if you had a very large JSON file. And so in trying to fix this, uh, the the developers introduced a fix, which unfortunately had a regression, which would cause JSON-C to potentially uh, allocate int max memory uh, on almost any allocation, uh, which as you can understand, uh, would cause an out of memory condition in that if you have a small machine and a process goes to allocate int max, it will use up all available memory, the kernel out of memory killer will come along and kill that process. And unfortunately, if that process is uh, your init daemon and in the case of uh, Ubuntu 16.04, uh, the Xenial Xeris, you could have configured uh, upstart as the init daemon instead of systemd. And then while you were booting, uh, upstart would go and get killed by the kernel for using up all available memory and you would have a pretty unhappy time, which unfortunately did happen uh, to a bunch of uh, instances running in AWS. So uh, yeah, they were ones that had been specifically configured to use Upstart since Upstart is not the default init system for uh, 16.04 long-term support. Uh, So we had to scramble a fix for that. And uh, you might be thinking, if you're a uh, 14.04 extended security maintenance customer, hang on, doesn't that use Upstart for its init system? And it does. However, luckily, uh, this update didn't uh, flow out as quickly to extended security maintenance, and we were then able to get the the regression fix out for that uh, to overwrite that um, possible you know bug uh, before that the actual bug could get out so, so yeah our extended security maintenance customers are uh, kind of saved by the bell on that one yeah but uh, they were fixed for JSON-C and we got that regression update out uh, pretty quickly within 24 hours so I want to say thanks to uh, Chris Coulson and others on the team in particular for scrambling to work on that one on a Friday not always a great uh, circumstance but yeah thanks guys We then had an update for DoveCot, this is the mail server, Um, in particular three CVEs were fixed for uh, the versions in Ubuntu 19.10 and 2004 long-term support, Uh, earlier versions were not affected. Uh, These are three issues discovered by Philippe Bantuan, there was a use after free if the ascending command is followed by a sufficient number of new lines, that would then cause most likely a crash. And also a couple other crashes that could be triggered uh, with if you were sending with empty quoted local part or if you were um, sending malformed no-op commands as well. So they were all fixed for Dovecot. We then had an update for dpdk. Uh, this is the data plane development kit which uh, provides TCP offloading to user space so you can do essentially your um, you know, accelerated packet network processing in user space rather than the kernel. And this is used by OpenVSwitch, uh, which is then in turn used by uh, OpenStack for its software-defined networking. So uh, yeah, this was, as I say, um, five different CVEs that were fixed for uh, DPDK in uh, 1804 and 2004 long-term support and 1910. There was a memory leak uh, and a possible file descriptor leak. So both of those could lead to general service. Uh, there was also the possibility for a guest uh, VM to crash the host uh, because there was a missing check on an ad. And virtual I/O address descriptor. So essentially, the VM tells the host, "Hey, I want this, uh, you know, memory uh, contents." And if it tells it invalid memory, you could then trigger an invalid memory access on the host and get it to crash. There was also a failure to validate uh, key lengths, and also an integer overflow uh, from the guest, which could then cause a crash on the host. Uh, We had then updates for the Linux kernel. So uh, thanks to the kernel team for working on these. Uh, There were three CVEs fixed for the kernel in the 2004 long-term support release. So this is the 5.4 base kernel. Uh, there was a use after free due to a race condition in the BFQ block IO scheduler uh, in, within the block subsystem, uh, there were, which could potentially be triggered by a local user. Uh, there was a bug in the parsing of mount options for TempFS. This could then cause uh, stack buffer overflow. Uh, however, Upstream have disputed this one because they sort of say, hey, look, if you can specify mount options, you're most likely a sysadmin, you know, your root. So, uh, you know, you can probably do other things as well uh, to cause a kernel crash. But that was also fixed, as well as a use after free in the ButterFS uh, file system when handling specially crafted file system images. We then had an update for the kernel in uh Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support, which is also used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support. Uh, four different CVEs here. Again, this included uh, the block IO scheduler used after free and the tempFS mount option parsing that I mentioned above. Plus there was a specific fix for um, PowerPC uh, hosts. So if you are running PowerPC and you've got uh, VMs running there, one of the guest VMs could potentially cause a host crash uh, on save and restore of authority mask registers. And also, if you are using the serial can driver, uh, this did not properly initialize stack memory, uh, so then could leak stack memory to user space, you know, when user space is reading a can frame out. So they were all fixed for the kernel in uh, Bionic. Uh, Next up, we had an update for the kernel in the 604 long-term support, which is also used as the hardware enablement for 14.04 ESM. This is a 4.4-based kernel. Uh, there were a bunch of issues with USB camera drivers that failed to validate device metadata and uh, these could result in things like null pointer references or other uh, out-of-bounds memory accesses that could cause a crash and uh, the two uh, issues I mentioned earlier which is the tempfs and serial can driver issues. Uh, then had an update for the 5.0 based kernel for Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support and this is used in uh, GKE environments or for some OEM platforms that we support. And this is actually based off the Ubuntu 19.04 Disco Dingo kernel, for those of you playing at home. Uh, so this uh, also fixed the block IO scheduler use after free, uh, the USB camera stuff I talked about before, uh, the TempFS and serial can stuff, and as well as the PPC, uh, PowerPC specific guest to host VM crash. Uh, so yeah, that was it for kernel updates. So just a couple more to go through. Uh, We had an update for Bind. So this is the DNS server. There were two different CVEs that were fixed here. Uh, This was for Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support and 19.10. Uh, In this case, the most, I guess, high profile one of these was uh, this DNS reflection attack that uh, actually impacted a bunch of different DNS servers. Uh, This is called the NXNS attack. Uh, There's a great website for this and there was an academic paper published for this as well. But this is uh, a case of DNS reflection, essentially where you... Uh, through recursive resolution you get the dns server to you know send out then a heap of um, requests sort of essentially on your behalf but you then can use it to do denial of service attacks against other dns servers and things so that was fixed for bind and then finally we had an update for the xm mail server so one cve here fixed for uh, 1404 1604 1804 and 2004 and 1910 so this was an out-of-bounds read in uh, the Secure Password Authentication Module, or SPA, uh, commonly known as NTLM, authenticator, which could result in uh, authentication bypass, uh, potentially. So yeah, that was fixed for XIM, And that's it for this week in security updates. All right, so uh, next up, Joe and I decided to have a chat about uh, some recent trends in phishing attacks, as well as uh, Marcus Hutchins, the guy who stopped WannaCry. hey joe how's things this week
1: alex things are great how are you doing i'm doing good i have to ask alex before we get into our normally um yeah our, our normal coverage did you um finish the, the fall of dodge yet
0: no <laughs> That thing is that thing is huge like Randy. Um, no i've been uh watching netflix lately i haven't been reading a lot of others <laughs> Okay, we have for us all. Um, How about you, Joe? You reading anything this week?
1: Well, I finished. I think last time we talked, I had started on the new Martha Wells uh, Murderbot book. Um, so there are like four novellas, and then now a full book yeah. um, called Network Effect. And I finished uh, Network Effect. It's really good if you're into robotics and other things. It's a fantastic book.
0: Cool. I'll have to look out for that one. No, I'm yeah. not, I, I haven't haven't read any of those. That's, that sounds awesome all right but this week uh we're going to talk about some stuff we haven't really uh covered a lot on the podcast one was um i guess some recent rise in fishing that we've seen directed against uh you know our our own organization you know so it's kind of talking from experience another one was this um i guess this biopic that was published about marcus hitchens as well
1: yeah both of those i think are pretty cool topics um but let's kick off with fishing so um I think fishing is, oh, there was a really, um, I think it was, was it dark reading had recently made like a little, or maybe some site like that I'll have to find out, um, on Twitter next time I look, but they did a post like, Oh, who would think fishing is still effective in 2020? And it's kind of funny. Cause I think the answer to that is everyone fishing yeah. is incredibly effective. It's super low cost. Um, in fact, uh, back when I was teaching on the first day of classes in the you know fall semester, I'd make everybody get, get out, um, you know, Uh, PowerPoint or or Google Slides and create a phishing email, right? Just to show people how easy it was. And that was sort of how we kicked off the whole InfoSec program. Um, But we've been seeing a ton that are um, sort of following the same pattern. So they send um, an email, which appears to be from someone inside the company. So um, they're saying, you know, it's time to update your VPN credentials or time to um, look at this um, invoice, uh, something like that. And what they do is they have an HTML attachment, and the attachment, um, I think, evades simple detection because it's using JavaScript, and it's using JavaScript uh, escape to encode the data. Then it's hit, then they're using JavaScript on escape, and renders the page. And when you look at the page, why, they, why these are pretty good, um, is that they're they're doing a few things that I'll say fishers of I don't know five years ago didn't bother with. Um, they're putting in uh, links to sites. Um, and including post data, so when you click on the link, your the email the target's email address is prepopulated, and we've even seen some that are using um, logos, the correct way for our company, for the company they're trying to get you to um, send money to, things like that. So they're going above and beyond. Um, I saw a really awesome one. It was just really unique in the way that they were um, they were trying to get your password no matter what. So it was a PHP page, um, which has since been taken down. Um, so one thing I do, and I assume everybody else, a security person, does this. If I find a URL, I immediately go to VirusTotal, put it in VirusTotal to see if it's if it's been detected. And so, um, interesting. I'll usually get them first thing in the morning because we're a global company, and I'll go uh, look at them in the morning. There'll be one or two sites that have detected it. And if I check yep. it at the end of the day, now there's ten. Um, so <laughs> it, 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 you'll see that. But one was um, uh, uh, one of them was. OS aware. So when you went to it with your Ubuntu box, it just rendered a blank page. So um I spun up a oh, I spun up a Windows VM, but then I realized afterwards I could have just changed the agent string in yep. my um in my browser after I was like, oh a Windows VM. So um so I, I downloaded the page because it was then rendering it in Windows. Um and uh it had used JavaScript, it was PHP page storing passwords, but it used JavaScript in a really unique way. It would see if you had provided a password, cause you know, remember your, your corporate address is pre-filled and then it would pop up saying, Oh, um, incorrect password. Please try your personal or, or a personal account or a work account. Uh, again, see if it's incorrect one. So they're trying to get any password they could from you. So it was yep. really, really kind of cool. Um, and they're all just going to, you know, your random really long URL that's miss misspelling of, you know, Microsoft or, or Google or something like that. Yep. So, um, it's, we're definitely seeing a rise on those. And I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my 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 gut tells me we're seeing more of these because a lot of these attacks in the past, a lot of these hackers were getting money from compromising point-of-sale machines, hotels and convention centers for business travelers, things like that. And that is all but stopped. So the only place they can attack is, um, is online. So yep. that's sort of my guess.
0: Yeah, um, I think the move to work from home as well has created opportunities, you know, where um, uh, business, business logic is changing, uh, you know, the types of things people are doing, um, you know, from their homes, you know, they're doing more and more obviously from their home. So that, uh, that then opens up the chance for processes to change. And then you, know, you get, so you're already getting emails about, Hey, you know, we're having to change the way we do this at work or, or mm-hmm. that. And so then, the odds then that you'll also then fall for a phishing email that says something kind of similar. Hey, you know, mm-hmm. you need to change your VPN credentials, right? Because we're now working from home or whatever. Right. That uh, yeah, to me kind of is a bit of a no brainer. Right. And I guess um, it's a shame, right? Obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah, hopefully I guess everyone is, uh, you know, taking a bit more care with what, you know, with what links they're clicking. Uh, it's a shame, I guess, that we still even have to say that, right? Because, uh, phishing is not a case so much of uh, you know being smart. You know, everyone will eventually fall for phishing You know the that's the idea of spear phishing, right? It is so good that you can't tell, you can't evade it, right? Um, you will yeah. fall for that because if they've done their homework, like you said, you know, and obviously it's simple just to put in logos and things. But um, if you've looked at company structures on LinkedIn, and you, know, you can quite easily you know infer mm-hmm. a lot of things from open source uh, data sets, right? That I would have thought should be able to fool a lot of people when they receive that email, because yeah, you can, you can know who they report to, you can know potentially what projects are being conducted, all this sort of stuff. So yeah.
1: Yeah. In fact, the sec, uh, had published this great paper about a year ago talking about this type of, uh, you know, sort of phishing and wire fraud, um, attacks on companies and they profiled 10 companies and the 10 companies accounted for a hundred million dollar loss, um, in the course of a year. And of, right. those few, of those 10, two of them accounted for eighty million dollars, eighty percent of it. Um, wow! And, and that was because what they had done is they had done just like you said, open source intelligence gathering. They had looked at um, they had looked at who the like, looked at the supply chain of these companies. Sent an email appearing to be from a um, uh, uh, one of the somebody in accounting uh, saying, "Hey, this, this account number has changed for this vendor. Please pay this going forward." um and what they were what they were doing is paying the wrong company and because it's a wire fraud (laughs) you can't get that money back nobody's covering that and that's how they they, they, it's one of them i think it took something like four months for the vendor to finally say hey you know we haven't been paid in a while and that's how they discovered it so it's it's just really um really interesting uh types of attacks that are you know sort of more social attacks than technical but they do go a long way
0: yeah i guess it sort of comes back to what we say a lot internally you know if you are business logic is changing and the only way you've been notified by is so far is via email. You know, you need to find another way to confirm that, you know, you need to ring the person directly, speak to them, um, you know, and you don't look up their phone number through the email they just sent you. You yeah. go to the corporate directory to look up their phone number, some way that you can get a, uh, you know, a confirmation that is out of band of, you know, whatever it is that that first notification you've got that could have been, um, you know, could be fraudulent, right? Yeah, um, you need to kind of do your homework, particularly when money's involved, because, like mm-hmm. you said, um, you know, some of these things you can't get it back once it's sent.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what did the uh, remember? What did the what did the Wu Tang Clan say? Cash rules everything yeah. around me.
0: It's all, it's, 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 Indeed.
1: Did they also say della della bill," y'all? Anyhow, <laughs> that is that is that is how you think about when you're thinking about hacking. It is all yeah. it's, it's it comes down to money. Everything is financially yeah. motivated. Um, we are not seeing nearly as many sort of those uh, fun. Hackers who would say, you know, this page has been pwned by so-and-so. We don't see that as much as we used to. Now you'll see an inject in the page that's grabbing usernames and passwords uh, for your banking credentials.
0: Yep. yep. So, hey, speaking you- of money, Joe, you know, um, so we're going to talk about Marcus Hitchens, uh, sorry, Marcus Hutchins, uh, otherwise known as Malware Tech, uh, the, you know, the hacker who uh, saved everyone from WannaCry. Uh, uh, and um, what I find interesting about this story, I guess, is the way that the hacker community chooses to see him or not. Um, and I think it also comes back to money, but uh, how about you tell us a bit more about Marcus?
1: So um, I read this amazing um, article in Wired um, that that covered um, the story about Marcus. And it um, seems like when he was a kid, um, he had made some malware. He sort of gotten involved in the, uh, you know, sort of carding forums, etc. cetera. Um, I think it said he started off with basically running uh, what, what they call a bulletproof hosting site. Um, and then he started making some malware, um, and uh, he, as he got older, he, I'm paraphrasing this quite long story. As he got older, he got out of making malware, became a um, became a uh, security researcher, um, and uh, sort of put his his bad past behind him. And while he was a mal- while we were developing malware, he had, you know, he had done things um, to he had made the software and sold it, but he also. Had according to the article had um, misgivings when he was making, essentially malware that he knew was targeting people, not companies, and he was he felt bad about that, and he tried to get out. And long you can read the story about you know basically saying the people that were paying him threatened him to to not leave. Um, I'm sorry if, if he stopped doing this development, he would um you know they'd expose him, he'd get arrested, which can happen when you're a kid and you're doing you know illegal things. Um, yeah, and then what he what was really neat though is when WannaCry started going around he was doing some analysis. And I wasn't sure from the article if he was doing it like runtime analysis or if he was using like IDA Pro um, or Radare. And he um, discovered that it, as part of WannaCry before it encrypted your data, it would go check this URL. And if the URL didn't respond, it would go ahead and, and, um, and encrypt your data. If it did respond, it would stop. So he registered the domain and the consulting company he was working for um, stood it up there um, and it stopped and he ended up having to do some really neat um you know scaling because essentially he was being DDoSed um either by the people that were being infected, <laughs> or the people that were trying to stop him from yeah. running this anymore <laughs> um and uh then he, he you know he was here uh, here at, at defcon and then he um got arrested as he was leaving defcon and uh he wasn't sure what for then it turns out for his deeds in the past um and he uh Ended up taking a while, but he um, eventually does go to court. Um, people had donated money, donated time, uh, because he hadn't quite owned up to the, his, his bad deeds in the past, but then that was causing quite a bit of guilt for him. Um, but he gets off because he... Um, uh, the judge said, you know, we need... Um, you know, your, your, what you did as your, when you were a kid um, was bad, but you have stopped doing that your good deeds with wanna cry and his, his mother was a nurse... And he um, uh, he felt some moral obligation to help stop WannaCry as it was targeting hospitals, and so the you know he the hmm. judge brought that up, um, and he said you know we need people like you who can help stop this in this new frontier. So he got off with time served, um, and I think that's great. I think he's done some um, he 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 definitely. I don't know, I don't know enough about his, what he did when he was younger, but, you know, WannaCry was definitely affecting a lot of people and that's a really great thing. And he continues to be a security researcher and that's cool. Um, but I just kind of wanted to make clear, like, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting the security, um, you don't have to be, um, you don't have to do illegal things to get into this. You can, um, you can avoid that, right? You can look at, Malware and try to analyze it and understand what it's doing. You can look for exploits in code, but you know, work with um, the vendor and try to fix it. And it, it I, I don't know, I would find it much more rewarding to be on, on the side of good than than evil, if you will. Um, it just doesn't. I just want to make clear that that's not what you have to do to to get to get good in security. Um, and I'm not saying that's what you know necessarily what what he did. Uh, clearly, he has a he's a, he's, a, he's got a great mind for this. Um, but uh, it kind of seems like. Is he? Is he? I don't know. Kevin Mitnick sure got a lot more um, time in jail for for what he did, uh, which was essentially just what finding out that he could get into other networks. Um, He did steal a lot of data, though, didn't Kevin Mitnick? I can't recall. If you haven't watched it, you can watch a great interview on the show sixty minutes with him. That's really entertaining. It's about eleven minutes on YouTube. Um, But anyhow,
0: yeah, it's sort of strange, I think, Joe, that um, the way that the security community tends to villainize um certain things and uh, and not other things and I, i what i was thinking about with marcus right is that i think had marcus made a lot of money with his malware i reckon that he would have been more villainized and i think because he didn't really make money out of it because um my understanding is part of you know he was accepting drugs essentially as payment for some of this so he again wasn't making money for his malware and because he Um, his malware was generally being sold to others who then used it you know we for whatever reason the security community accused us to go well that's not so bad you know for whatever reason we go well that's not so bad but if you're nso group and you're selling spyware to, to you know some uh you know oppressive regime you're you're villainized and i totally uh you know i can see that that is bad Right? i'm not trying to suggest that that is somehow you know a good thing at all um, but I also think that, you know, either you're, you're on the right side of things or you're not, right? And you either make an explicit choice that you're going to, you know, that you uphold the law and that you're part of a lawful society or you're not, right? And you're in favor of, I don't know, whatever. Um, and so I kind of, I don't know, infosex of weird face to
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting um, because you'll hear, you know, certain uh, like national labs will get a bad reputation if they're helping or assisting with with law enforcement or universities mm-hmm. will get in trouble if they're if they're working with law enforcement but you know you're, you're trying to make things better um but i do think for the most part i i i i, I really like the security community i enjoy what what the things they're finding and what what um like the the the, <laughs> the discussions on twitter are pretty 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 funny um but yeah i you know you don't have to you don't have to have been, you know, an actual hacker doing things for evil to be eh, evil. That's not so I feel like I'm talking in like a like a superhero movie. Um, but you don't have to do you don't have to do things that are illegal to um to get good at this. So I would encourage everybody who's interested in security is you know, find those like find those vulnerabilities and software that you're running in a VM in your host, not on yeah. some corporate network that's gonna get you in trouble. Um, yeah. and, 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 and work th- with the community to make it better.
0: Yeah, and the one thing we have nowadays too is you know you don't just have to get notoriety on Twitter for the um you know the vulnerabilities that you find and drop, you know there are many bug bounties out there that will pay you money for finding you know good vulnerabilities and working directly with uh, vendors you know to get them resolved. So uh, yeah, you know there's a great way you can reward yourself there too. So go check out you know HackerOne or or all the others. Um, yeah.
1: Well, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I would encourage everybody to find that article on Wired and read it. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's a long one, but it's a page turner, and yep. um, and you know, attack your box in a in a in a VM. Don't don't go to a a real live site. After my uh, when I was still teaching, after I would do the lecture on like using, um, uh, uh using like a like W3AF or Rapid Seven or Nessus to go you know scan a website the next week during class. I would say like a third of the students would be like, "Hey, I found this." Like, no, don't. You're not supposed to attack a real website. Um, you know, or if you want to do that, you know, work, contact their. You know, do do exactly. this the right way. You're gonna get. Yeah. In, you're, within, you can,
0: yeah, yeah, within the thing. But yeah, you're right. Exactly. You will. You know, otherwise you're exposing yourself to, um, you know, criminal. Yeah, uh, you know, to criminal activity. Right. Otherwise, yeah. to do it. Um, without yeah. without authorization so
1: yeah would you go to someone would you go would you go to your neighbor's house and jiggle the door handle just to make sure it was like locked or unlocked i mean yeah you 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 would think that's weird right if your neighbor came up and was trying to see if they could open your windows you would like, what is going yeah. on yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what you're doing with a when you're when you're looking at websites um that's that's you're, you're essentially looking in their windows and you could see how they could misconstrue that now i'm not saying that's always the right thing and certainly companies have overreacted and, you know brought like litigation against people who are doing things but um but you know just think about what you're doing before you make those acts think would i be offended if somebody were doing this to my system or my host
0: exactly all right i
1: think we've made a really long one today Whew, yeah. this could set a record <laughs> um thank you everybody for listening um we'll, we'll make up for this and have an extremely short uh podcast next week <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right thanks joe talk to you soon and thanks again for that joe always great chatting to you uh we'll can't wait to do it again all next week. All right, and that's it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening again for another week. Uh, in the meantime, till next week's episode, if you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us at security at Ubuntu.com. You can also come and find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on irc.freno.net. We also have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you want to start a discussion about anything. And finally, you can find us on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. Okay, uh, so yeah everyone, hope you have a great week, Uh, stay safe, remember keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.